Many of you know uh, our family pastor, Andy Notice. Andy Notice preached this last week. Andy is in his, I won't tell you his age now, it rhymes with 40. Uh, so he's in, his, he's in his 40s now, fantastic human being, informed me that his 4x100 relay team was second in the province when he was in high school. He also informed me that they were by far, the four of them together, not by any stretch of the imagination, the fastest forerunners in Ontario. They weren't even the second fastest forerunners or third or fourth. They were way down the list. The reason they came in second in the province, the 4x100 men's relay, is that over and over and over and over and over again, they focused on passing the baton. From one to the next, from one to the next, from one to the next. You may know how a 4 by 100 relay works. Four people round the track, one time total, but each of them takes 100 meters. The first is 100 meters straight away, then 100 meter curve, then the backside 100 meters straight away, then the last leg, the anchor leg, which of course I ran. I, it's hard for me to walk 100 meters without stopping for a Gatorade, so that was not me in high school. Uh, the leg of the last leg of the 100 meter relay. That's how the 100 meter relay works. And Andy's team was second in the province. Uh, could have came in first if there was, you know, actual good officiating. But that's beside the point. He's still a little bitter, so you can ask him about that afterwards. But they came in second in the province because they focused on passing the baton, not by any stretch of the imagination the fastest, but they passed the baton well. In uh, the year 2000, in the year 2004, in the year 2008, the United States of America had the fastest four women in the world. That is to say that if those four women raced against any other women in the world, they would come in gold, silver, bronze, and then runner-up. USA, 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 USA. Say it with me. U.S. No, don't, 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 don't. Don't. And even though they had the fastest four runners in the world in 2000 and 2004 and in 2008, they were either disqualified or came in way down the list, underperformed in each of those Olympics, 2000, 2004, and 2008. Why? Because they failed to pass the baton. They dropped it. They waited too long and they were outside of the exchange zone where you're allowed to actually exchange the baton from one runner to the next. Here's the deal. When it comes to the 4 by 100 relay and when it comes to faith, passing the baton is critical. And when I say critical, I don't mean important. I don't mean significant. I mean mission critical. If we don't pass the baton of faith, it will fall to the ground and it will not get picked up again. We'll be disqualified from the race. We'll lose the race. The next generation won't carry the gospel and the good news forward if we fail to pass the baton of faith. So this morning, my number one goal here is that we as a church, not just each of us as individuals, although that's true too, but that we as a church would together crawl up under this weight of responsibility and hold it together and say we as a church are committed to passing on the baton to the next generation so they can continue to run the race that's marked out for them. And you might think that you can't do it. You might think that you're too old to do it. You might think that you're too young to do it. You might think that you don't have enough influence to do it. You might think that you don't know how to do it. 
But I will tell you that all of those excuses fall really flat in the eyes of God. And they fall really flat in my eyes, too. Because when I was a little kid at First Baptist Church in Hobbs, New Mexico, we call it Hobbs, America, in Hobbs, New Mexico, a couple of women taught my Sunday school class and invested in me. And they invested in friends of mine, and they invested in generations before me, and they invested in generations after me. And they sent out people who would be engineers and doctors and lawyers and now pastors talking to you know, over a thousand people each and every Sunday morning about the good news of Jesus, all because of their faithfulness in passing on the baton of faith to the next generation. And I'm not saying that I'm God's gift to preaching or anything. I'm, not, I'm, like, I'm barely even God's gift to my wife. Like She's still searching the box for a gift receipt. Can I exchange this? I could store credit. Um, what I'm saying is that some individuals saw it as their biblical duty and responsibility. They saw it as their joy and their privilege. No matter how old they are, no matter how young they were at the time, what skills they had or didn't have, regardless, they were going to be good. <laughs> Better yet, great at passing on the baton of faith to the next generation. So great, in fact, that when my father uh, offered to co-teach with them and help lead this Sunday school class, they said, you can be an assistant for a little while. <laughs> I wanted you to, to meet them this morning. They're both in their 90s, and they live in East Texas, and so they can't be here, but I can show you pictures of them. This is Mary Baber. Mary's still alive. She taught me when I was a young buck. And she taught years and years and years before that. She's in her 90s now. That's her husband, Guy. That's what we name people in Texas, by the way. Is it a boy or a girl? It's a boy. What do you want to name him? Guy. Okay. Um, Guy and Mary Baber are faithful people, Christians, lovers of Jesus, that saw it as a responsibility to pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. They knew how critical it was. This is Dorothy Pye. Uh, this is Dorothy Pye's 85th birthday. You might think that that picture is a little blurry. It's not that the picture is blurry. It's that Dorothy is blurry. She's in her 90s now, so that was supposed to be a joke. Um, 85th birthday in 2014. Dorothy is 90 now and still is a supply teacher three days a week. Some of you wouldn't be a supply teacher no matter how much anybody paid you, right? Like, is that not the worst job ever? You know why Dorothy is still a supply teacher three days a week? Because she sees it as her joy and responsibility to pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. Any and every place, they will allow her to do that. And friends, the reality is that we really haven't done a great job passing on the baton of faith. We dropped it in places. We've waited too long in places. We haven't run as fast as we could or performed at the ability uh, in terms of moving the good news forward as well as we could have. Even though there are Mary Babers out there, even though there are Dorothy Pies out there, for each and every one of us, we haven't always done a great job. In fact, a recent article I was reading in CNN talked about the fact that the generation that came before mine, 85% of them would identify as Christian. The generation that came before mine, 85% 
would identify as Christian. The generation that comes after me, 28% will identify as Christian. Do you understand how drastic a drop that is? And, and that lack of passing on faith, that falls with my generation, and it falls with the generation that came before mine, to be frank with you. This is, a, this is not a, a, a spiritual article. It comes from CNN, which publishes a lot of fake news. And I'm kidding about that, too. Look what the author concludes. He says this, To put it simply, older generations of Americans, and this includes Canadians, by the way, let's not just blame it on the USA, are not passing along the Christian faith as effectively as their forebears. That's just what it comes down to. We have not effectively passed on the baton of faith in so many ways. And there's a number of reasons uh, why we failed, a number of things that we've done to, to render ourselves ineffective when it comes to passing on the baton of faith to the next generation. One is that we waited. We waited too long. I don't know if you know this, but the average time it takes for a world-class 4x100 relay team to run is about 40 seconds, give or take, plus or minus, uh, either side of that, both male and female. And the average time they have to pass that baton from one runner to the next is 1.5 seconds. Let's say you take that time, you extrapolate it out over the course of 82 years, which is the average time you have on the planet as a Canadian. Higher than the USA, by the way. Canada, Canada, right? 82 years. That means that in four years of your life, four years, you have the opportunity to pass on the baton of faith. The time you'll have to pass the baton of faith to your children will be extraordinarily and surprisingly short. Some of you know that already because your kids are grown and out of the house and it went by like that. And they left your house without a baton of faith. We can't wait. It's urgent. It's now. That passing has to happen. Number two, we lost our focus. We lost our focus. One of the things that I think that Christianity has become consumed with, especially in the Western world, is we fight to retain cultural privilege. We fight to retain our rights. We fight to retain uh, popularity. We fight to retain all kinds of different things. And all the while, this generation that's coming up behind us don't have an example. They don't have the core tenets of the faith. They've not been taught to obey God and walk with him and to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when our focus becomes retaining cultural privilege as opposed to passing on the baton of faith, the darn thing gets dropped and we get disqualified. Don't finish the race. Number three, we don't practice. We don't practice passing on the baton of faith. We wait until the moment is critical. We wait until our kid is graduating high school. And then we think, they're going off to university and they're going to get around a lot of liberal professors. And they're going to lose their faith. If you haven't taught them what it means to walk with Jesus from the time they're this high... They don't have a faith to lose, I hate to break it to you. If you don't put in the effort when it doesn't matter, how do you expect to succeed when it does matter? We don't practice. And men and women of God, as a church, especially in the Western world, where each generation will decrease in terms of percentage of it that claims to be 
Christian, each generation, that percentage will decrease. And it has been for the last however many years. The time is now, the time is critical for us to say we will pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. And if we don't, men and women of God, the results and the consequences are going to be drastic. The great news about it, the great news, two things. One is that this moment now, this critical moment of passing on the baton of faith to the next generation, this is not the first time that God's people have reached a moment like this, number one. Number two, God has some great instruction as to how to make this happen. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt, and God wanted to rescue his people from that situation. What he did was he sent a redeemer named Moses. You may have heard the story. Moses came in. God used Moses to rescue his people from the nation of Egypt and to send them to the promised land. Uh, what would have, should have been about a 20-day journey took them 40 years. You can read about that in the Old Testament. And God said to Moses, pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. Teach them to obey me. Teach them to love me. And Moses did to a young man named Joshua. He turned over the reins of leadership. He turned over the mantle of responsibility. And not just the mantle of responsibility, but he taught him how to live a life of integrity. He taught him how to love God. And Joshua led God's people into the land of promise. But then things started to fall apart a little bit. Judges chapter 2 says, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. That's Joshua's generation. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. So here's what we got. After Moses passes on this baton of faith, this generation, Joshua's generation, served the Lord. Then a generation after them, all the elders that outlived them, the generation after them, served the Lord. All those who had seen the work that the Lord had done for Israel. But when Joshua was about 110 years old, he died. And look what happened. For that generation also were gathered to their fathers, that is, that they died, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. It's one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. That another generation rose after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And I don't need to get into the details here, but what happens for God's people at this moment right here is that things get real ugly. And I'm not talking about kind of ugly, like you stole my candy ugly. I'm not talking about ugly, like stop gossiping about me ugly. I'm talking Game of Thrones ugly. Like I'm talking kill and craziness and chaos and fractions and families doing stuff to one another that I don't want to repeat in church. Because the baton of faith was dropped. Now, if Joshua's generation, uh, more specifically, the generations subsequent to Joshua, would have obeyed God's commandments to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, like Moses did, and he had to learn the hard way, by the way. Didn't always obey God, but in this particular case he did. If they would have obeyed what God commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 6, they would not have had to face such dire consequences. Things would not have gotten that ugly. 
And I would say to you this morning, church, brethren, beloved, brothers and sisters in Christ, we must respond to the call of God to pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. And what I mean by that is understanding not just that God has called us to pass on the baton of faith to the next generation, but how he's called us to pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. Because God both calls us to do it and instructs us specifically how we're supposed to do that. And he did so for Moses before Joshua and the generations after him dropped the ball, but Moses did it. And he does it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book of your Bible. So if you start from the very beginning, just fast forward five uh, books. The Bible is a collection of 66 books. Deuteronomy is the fifth. And we'll be in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy. And here's what's happened through chapters one through five is that God and Moses together have been reviewing the history of the nation of Israel. They've been reviewing the history of God's people. And God's going, remember this happened and then that happened and then I bailed you out of this and I bailed you out of that. And Moses is going, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, got it. And then God gives Moses the law. Specifically, he gives them the Ten Commandments. You may have heard of the Ten Commandments or saw them in a movie or something like that. And then in Deuteronomy chapter six, God commands, Moses to begin to speak to the people about what it means now that you've seen the works of God, now that you've heard his law, now that you've experienced all his goodness and grace, specifically in bailing you out of Egypt and other things, here is how you pass on that baton of faith to the next generation. Watch. Uh, Moses says this, now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. So he's talking to the nation of Israel. He's talking to God's people. He says that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Now stop there. Go back one. So the Lord God is commanding me to teach you commandments, statutes, and rules. That's what we're talking about. Commandments and statutes and rules. To be careful that you do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. To be careful that you do them. To be careful that you do them. Let's keep paying attention to that. Verse 2 says that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son. See, there's the generations right there. You see it? That you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son, passing on the baton of faith by keeping all his statutes and commandments. By keeping all the statutes and commandments, by keeping all the statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be long. Verse 3 Hear, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, be careful to do them, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. I repeated those phrases a couple of times, but the Bible also repeats them. Once in each verse, God makes sure to Moses, and Moses makes sure to the people to say, if you want to pass on the baton of faith, you must do them. The commandments. You must keep all his statutes in verse 2. And again in verse 3, you must do them. And so what God is saying to Moses and what Moses is saying to God's people, if you want the next generation after you to fall flat when it comes to faith, feel free to just disregard God's commandments. But if you want them to pick up that torch and carry the good news about God's redemptive plan into the future... They need from you behavior, not babble. 
They need for your life to be a life of integrity. They need for your life to be a life of honesty. They need for your life to be a life of purity. They need you to do them. Keep the commandments. And then again in verse 3, do them. They need behavior, not a lot of this. This cannot be a do as I say, not as I do type of situation. They need behavior, not babble, not blah, 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 blah. And some of you might be offended and like, man, babble, that's a pretty strong word. Well, Paul uses it twice. So I guess I can use it. Second Timothy, look what he says to his protege. He says, remind them of these things. This is in the context of Paul telling Timothy, okay, what you've heard from me, pass on to faithful men so that they may teach others also. There's four generations right there. What you've heard from me, pass on to faithful men, or what you have heard from me, there's two, pass on to faithful men that you may teach others also. And he says, remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Then he says to Timothy, look, do your best to present yourself to, to God as one approved, a worker, somebody who does stuff, not just talks about stuff to do, need to be, uh, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now watch, he says, but avoid irreverent, say this word with me, Babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. This is how he ends his first letter to Timothy as well. Paul writes this. He says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions, what is falsely called knowledge, by professing it. Some have swerved from the faith. Faith, grace be with you. See, the next generation needs behavior, not babble. They need for your life to demonstrate the gospel. And we talk about this all the time. We talk about demonstrating the gospel in all of life. When it comes to passing on the faith, the faith, uh, faith in Christ to the next generation, we need to be people that model it for them. And if we don't, it's going to fall on deaf ears. I heard a story recently or a joke, I guess maybe some of us will laugh at it, some of us will laugh uncomfortably at it, and that'll be okay too, about a father who tells his son, you need to go to Sunday school today, you need to go to Sunday school today, you need to go to Sunday school today, and the son says, why do I need to go to Sunday school? And the father says, well, they're going to teach you how to live a life of integrity, how to live a life of honesty, how to follow God, keep all of his commandments. And the son goes, did you go to Sunday school when you were growing up? And the father says, well, a matter of fact, I did. And the son says, well, why do I have to go? It didn't do you any good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, whatever charge that we give to the next generation, whatever piece of faith that we want to pass on, whatever message needs to be carried forward, it's going to fall on deaf ears if our life doesn't back it up. They need behavior first, not babble. Moses goes on, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is called the Shema, if you've ever heard it before. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And those words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Keep going. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That's a commandment. Pass it on to the next generation. Pass it on to the next generation. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. I love what Moses is doing here. Look, and what God is saying through Moses to the nation of Israel. First of all, teach them diligently Always, all the time, with effort, with strategy, a pointed way. Don't do this accidentally. Do this on purpose. Teach them diligently to your ch children. And when? 
when should I do that? Well, you should do it when you sit and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. So is that is what Moses is saying here and what God is saying through Moses to the nation of Israel. Whenever you stand up, remember to tell your kids, God loves you. Whenever you have a seat, remember to tell your kids, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you wake up first thing in the morning, you should pray. And when you go to bed last thing at night, you should pray. I mean, yeah, I guess those are good things, right? But that's not exactly what Moses is saying. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you need to invest time in the next generation. All the time. Reorganize your life such that someone in the generation coming behind you can walk with you on the way. So that when you wake up first thing in the morning, there's someone from the next generation that you can invest in. So that when you go to bed last thing at night, there's someone from the next generation that you can invest in. Don't take that too literally. When, when, when you, every place you go, at work, at play, in your hobbies, everywhere you're at, there should be someone from the next generation that you're strategically investing in and Spending a lot of time with because, because they need your time before they can hear teaching. They gotta have it. You cannot, men and women of God, enter into someone's life, swoop in like a helicopter, tell them what to do, and then swoop out. It doesn't work that way. You have to invest time. There's a story of a 19th century politician who wrote in his journal one day, I spent the day fishing with my son. What a wasted day. That very same day, his son wrote in his journal, a journal that's still in existence and you can see in a museum, by the way. Very same day, spent the day fishing with my dad. Best day of my life. The next generation, whatever that next generation is, if you're 80 and the next generation is 60, If you're my age, 40, and the next generation is 20, if you're 16 and the next generation is 5, they need you to reorganize your life and sacrifice some things so that you can spend time with them on their turf and on their terms. I had some friends uh, that attended the, the worship service that I used to lead back at Scottsdale Bible Church, the church I came here, the church I used to work at before I came here. And on that campus, we had a number of different worship environments, and each of them had different music because they wanted to reach different people. They had like traditional music and contemporary music and what they called blended music and all kinds of different music. We'll never do that here, by the way. Don't get your hopes up, but that's what we did there. And, and so, uh, so at, at Scottsdale Bible Church, I was leading a very edgy, very modern, very forward-thinking, very loud, right? Like all the guys in the band had blue hair, right? Worship service. And some friends of mine who were in their mid-70s, like a few weeks into this worship service, kind of moseyed in one Sunday. And I'm thinking, oh no, we're going to play the first song and they're going to die. That's what's going to happen. They're going to stroke out and we're going to have to revive them right here on Sunday mornings. And everybody's going to hear about it. It's going to be in the paper. And lo and behold, they didn't die. And then they came back the next week. And then they came back the next week. And they came back the next week. I'm like, this is really great. So I went up to them. They were friends of mine. I said, oh, my gosh, I, I just, I'm, I'm surprised that you're here. Said, Why are you surprised we're here? I said, well, I mean, 
you know, the reason we do this is so people can, like, you know, get music that they like. And so clearly you're here because you like the music, and that's just great. It's awesome. They say, oh, no, we hate it. <laughs> and I said, well, you're uninvited. Please don't come back again. I do, I do the music. Well, you hate the music, you know. Well, can't you find something to like? No, we can't. I mean, lyrically, yeah, content, we like it. But, like, we, we're, like, into Lawrence Welk. Like, who's Lawrence Welk, you know? I said, well, why are you here? They said, because it's incumbent upon us to spend time with the next generation of people and look around. They're all here. So we come here. We have reorganized our life. We have reorganized our corporate worship experience. We have reorganized our work. We have reorganized our play so that we can spend time with people in the generation that's coming behind us. So we can effectively pass on the baton of faith. See, and then they earned the right to speak into people's life by their faithfulness, by bridging the gap, by finding a way to make the message and the mission of Jesus so real to the generation behind them. And they couldn't have done that unless they spent time with them. They need your time, men and women. They need your time. I'll speak personally. The generation that's older than me I need your time. I need your time. You can't swoop into my life and just tell me what to do. But I need your time. And then you will earn the right and the influence to tell me what to do. Uh, men, men and women who are younger than me, just because you're 20 doesn't mean that you are absolved of this responsibility to pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. Remember, we can't wait. It's urgent. We only have a little bit of time to pass on faith. And so in your 20s, reorganize your life such that you invest time in the next generation of people so that you can pass on the baton of faith. You're going, man, I'm really busy. Yeah, you were really busy like binge-watching Orange is the New Black this weekend or something. I don't know what you were binge-watching. I had a guy tell me one time, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Oh, cool, what'd you do on Saturday? He said, I watched all three Lord of the Rings back to back. He said, have you ever done that? I said, no, I'm proud to say no. No, I've never done that. Never done that. We flush our time down the toilet, and all the time we could be investing in the next generation such that the baton of faith is carried forward. Let's keep reading. Moses says, you shall bind them, the commandments of God, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Uh, eventually, in the, the nation of Israel, in a Jewish culture, these became pretty literal things that the nation of Israel did. You might have heard of phylacteries before that Jews carry on their person, their little boxes with um, uh, verses in it. And that's a cool thing. It's a pretty cool thing. Or even on their forehead, they carried them with a the headband on their forehead. But initially, this wasn't necessarily a literal thing. It was a representative and figurative thing. Here's what Moses is saying. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might and do it for the glory of God. In your activity, what your hands do, they should reflect, that should reflect the character and priorities of Jesus. 
what, what people see coming, the first thing they see about you, right between your eyes, it should say Jesus follower. Don't go home and find a Sharpie and write Jesus follower on your forehead. That would be a little odd. Plus, if you did it in a mirror, it would be backwards, right? So that's, that's all that you don't do that. What Moses is saying to us is that's what we should be leading with, men and women of God. Who'd you vote for? Where do you work? Uh, how do you parent your kids? The first thing out of our mouth should be, well, because I'm a believer, I do that according to biblical values. Well, how do you parent your kids? Well, you know what? Uh, what I try to do is just be the kind of father to my kids that God the Father is to me. That should be the first thing people will know about. It should be like a frontlet between our eyes, Moses says. Then he says, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, uh, around the door of your home. He says, when people enter your home, your space, they should know this is a place where Christ is exalted and where the commandments of God are followed. On the gates of your community, even in your surrounding community, we should be pushing forward the mission and message of the gospel of God's plan to renew all things such that our lives, our conduct, our hearts, our affections, our minds, our thoughts, what people see of us, what people see of our homes, what people see of our communities, all those things should be an example of what the gospel says and the commands of Christ. Here's what the next generation needs, men and women. They need an example, not an edict. They need to be shown what to do, not told what to do. And, and I see this all the time, and, and, and especially as I'm growing older, for some of you, you're going, you're, you know, some of you, you're twice my age. Congratulations, making it that long, by the way. Um, and, and Dorothy Pye is more than twice my age. Mary Baber's more than twice my age, still passing on the baton of faith to the next generation. And, and for some of us, and like I said, especially I see this as I get older, we so commit ourselves to a particular model of ministry or a particular model of family life that we try to enforce upon our kids or enforce upon our children's children. And we think, because I did it this way, you must do it this way. And we, and we issue to them an edict. This is how you do it. There's no other way. Rather than living out in front of them an example of someone who loves Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and passes on to them a passion to do the same. And if we commit ourselves to that model and we lose the message and the mission in the process, then we fail. You know how I know that? Blockbuster video. When's the last time you went into a blockbuster video and looked at VHS tapes, right? And picked out, I think I want to see Home Alone 2, you know? And you pick out the VHS and you go up to the counter and you check it out and you go home and you watch it. And do you guys remember, how many of you are old enough to remember the phrase, be kind, rewind? How many of you had in your home a VCR and, and something else that rewound tapes really, really quickly? Did you have one of those? Ah, some of you are old. And, and you spent good money on something and all it did was rewind tapes. That was it. That was it. Good for you. Good for you. 
There are no blockbusters around anymore. Why? Because they were so committed to a method, they didn't transfer into the next generation. They didn't build a bridge, and they lost the ability to deliver the message. See, the message is still good. People still want that content. People still want to watch movies. They just do it on Netflix. They just do it on iTunes. They do it on any other thing you could think of, right? And it's the same way when it comes to this baton of faith. If we're not living the mission and the message and setting an example, if we're so committed to a particular model and this is the way we've always done it, look, I like hymns. In fact, I love hymns. They're great. But if we commit ourselves to those kinds of things and we say those things are part and parcel with the gospel and there's no other way that the next generation can learn unless they learn a mighty fortress is our God. Then, then we've missed the mark and we'll drop the baton of faith. We have to be the type of people that are committed to the mission and the message before we're committed to a model. We have to be the type of people that are committed to setting an example each and every place in our life, not issuing an edict an edict of how folks and telling people this is what to do. We have to be people that set an example. Two things I want to do before we close here. First is this. I want to talk really quickly because I've talked a little bit to the generation that's responsible for passing on the baton of faith. I want to talk really quickly to the generation that's responsible for receiving it. Young people. And all of us are young. Because you're younger than somebody else out there. You're younger than someone else. So it's a relative term. For those who are responsible for receiving the baton of faith, Moses talks to them too. Look what he, look what he says. Next slide, please. Uh, 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 scripture. He says, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, generation, when God gives it to you, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and you are full. He's talking to the generation that's receiving the benefits of the sacrifice of the generation that came before He's talking to the generation that's about to enter into the promised land because of the faithfulness of the generation that came before. And he's saying to them, look, you're going to enjoy cities you didn't build, houses full of good things that you didn't fill, cisterns that you didn't dig, olive trees that you did not plant. Millennials, you, we, whatever, we're famous for this, aren't we? I don't want to do any hard work. I just want to play, you know... Nintendo in my... Do we have Nintendo still? No. See? Video games in my parents' basement all day. And I don't want to go do hard work. I don't want to go work retail. I don't want to go work minimum wage. I don't want to do that. I'm holding out for something in management. <laughs> right? You're, you're, and, and it's not just that. It's not just job. It's the faith, too. We think it should all just be done for us. And here's the, here's the thing. Here's what Moses is saying to the people. He's saying, you're about to get into a situation when it's all done for you. Houses you didn't build, uh, cisterns you didn't dig. You're going to enjoy all the benefits of that. If you are sitting in here this morning, and all of you are, you are enjoying the sacrifice and faithfulness of a generation that came before you. There was a group of people 
that showed up on this site 40 years ago and mortgaged their homes to buy this building. You were enjoying the fruits of their labor, and these are cisterns that you didn't dig, cities that you didn't build. And the baton of faith has been passed on to you. Here's the deal. Each and every one of us are a product of someone else's faithfulness. No matter how you slice it, no matter how you color it, someone came before you and laid the path for you. You did not get here alone. Someone else gave, someone else sacrificed. And I'm tired, frankly, fatigued of my generation uh, saying that the generation that came before us is, is lame or they don't have the technology that we do or living a life that's really entitled. You know what? In order to receive the baton of faith, now watch this, you have to be willing to run without it for a little while. You can't just stand looking, waiting for them to give you that baton of faith. You've got to turn and start your own race and learn how to serve in the little things in relative obscurity where people aren't necessarily noticing that you're making coffee, that you're serving kids, that you're like Dorothy Pye and Mary Baber for me. They, they did a thankless job and changed diapers and, and, and whatever else and dealt with just craziness. And they still are doing that. There are people that came before you that laid a pathway for you to be transformed by Jesus. And your life is different because of them. You did not get here alone. Be grateful. Honor them. Respect them. And when the baton of faith is passed on to you, receive it and get running. Before we close... Uh, I mentioned Andy Notice here a little bit ago, whose uh, 4x100 men's relay team got second in the province, not because they were the fastest, but because they passed the baton the best. Well, the second best. Yeah. Uh, Andy's our family ministry pastor, and I wanted to talk to him a little bit about what we do specifically in kids and youth. Uh, would you guys welcome Andy this morning? Andy, uh, Andy preached last week. You uh, may remember that. I got it, Felix. You're good. Thanks, buddy. Uh, you may remember that Andy preached last week. I had an awesome opportunity to watch his message online. If you have not done so, jump online, listen to his message. He did a great job, and you made some very funny comments that I will steal uh, down the road, and people think it's my jokes, but, but it was your jokes. Um, and, and I have been reviewing the, the mission statement for Bayview Kids. In fact, uh, my kids are back in Bayview Kids ministry right now. And as you know, the mission statement is to provide child care, so that parents can have an undistracting worship experience and we return them, their kids, unharmed. Correct? Is that? Absolutely. That's what yeah. we're about. We want to yeah. make sure that uh, we have a warm body in the room uh -huh. so that nobody dies, so that you can pick up a child on your way out. That's yeah. what we're all about. And if it's your child, great. Or if you just, if you dropped off two, we just want you to get two back. If that's it. If there's one that's cuter than yours, you can take that one and let's just switch off. Yeah. Would you guys thank Andy for being here this morning? That's... I think that's what a lot of people think about children's ministry in general, right? That it's just childcare. And the reality is what we're trying to do is pass on the baton of faith uh, to the next generation. And would you just talk about that a little bit, even from uh, your vision and how that works itself out in baby kids and baby youth? 
Yeah, uh, the mission statement for our Bayview Kids program, which is uh, from birth to grade five, is simply uh, we want to create a place where kids can experience the wonder of God's love and drag their parents back to church. And so it's actually about, uh, depending on their age and level of development, how do we present the gospel? How do we present who God is, uh, that God can be their forever friend in that context? And we want them to... Uh, literally drag their parents back to church. I know sometimes if you're honest, I don't really know if I want to go to church. Uh, and some of you may have kids in your program where on Sunday morning, they're the ones dragging you out of bed because they want to go back to church. That's exactly. Happy customer right here. <laughs> uh, and, and for me, just so you guys know, I'm an end user when it comes to Bayview Kids in more ways than I am a shaper. Really, uh, Andy is the visionary when it comes to Bayview Kids and Bayview Youth. I pick up my kid at the end of, of Bayview Kids, and, and I hear so much about the wonder of God's love that she's experiencing. And, and frankly, I see myself as the, I have the primary responsibility to pass on the baton of faith to, to Kaya and to Canaan, but the reality is these guys partner with me and Amy and support us as we do that. And I'm so thrilled that it's not just childcare, that it's, hey, we're trying to pass on uh, the baton of faith and, and, and help them experience the wonder of God's love. And then as they move into Bayview Youth, uh, what we want them to do is, uh, that's a nice segue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the mission statement for our youth program is uh, creating a place where students can learn to love God, love each other, and love the world. And so as they develop that faith when they're younger, we want to give them practical ways that they can actually live out that faith uh, in the relationship to God, uh, each other, this world and then uh, the larger world as a whole. Yep. And uh, our mission statement in, in those two areas, Bayview Youth and Bayview Kids, you've just heard, but uh, when it comes to Bayview uh, Kids, we, we have a vision to a preferred outcome for each student. And uh, the mission or the vision at Bayview Kids would be uh, the vision, uh, again, this is what we're hoping will result of someone having been in our program. Uh, and the vision statement is uh, we want, uh, we desire that every child uh, would root themselves in Christ's love and live out that love in all areas of their life. Uh, and so we actually, uh, one of the best ways to describe this is to tell you guys a story. And so last Easter, um, we, uh, we put together our curriculum ahead of time. So everything that we do from our teaching to our videos to our music is all, uh, we, we put a lot of effort into that. And so we were having this Easter service, and one of our surf team members was uh, going in, and uh, they were in a different classroom that they're not used to, and they saw a little girl in the back, and she was responding to the message, and she was having, like, an emotional response. And so she sat down with this little girl and uh, have her, her testimony of what happened. And basically, uh, they were having conversations about who God is, about who Jesus is, about what sin is, about what heaven is, and all these things. And at the end, she's like, I, I want to pray, but I don't know how to pray. How do you talk to God? And led this girl, a five-year-old girl, uh, to accept Jesus. Uh, and it was an amazing story, and she was all emotional about it. Uh, and the best part about that story is that that serve team member was 16 years old. She was a member of our youth program, mm. and uh, it was just amazing to see her. Uh, our, missions, our vision statement for our youth program uh, is simply, we desire that every student should develop a mature uh, faith in Christ, where they live out the truth in the Bible and walk in that freedom it provides. And so she had this faith that she was passing on to the next generation. Uh, and for me, it was like, this is the way that it's supposed to work. This is what is supposed to happen. These 16-year-olds discipling and leading the next generation. Uh, it, was, it was great. Yeah. 
Uh, very few of us, I think, are aware, you know, unless uh, you're a serve team member with Baby Kids or Baby Youth, or if you have children uh, that, that are a part of the program back there, that just 50 meters down that hall, uh, kids are experiencing the wonder of God's love. In that particular case, the little girl who gave her life to Jesus, she did drag her parents back to church the next week. She did. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. And, and then you see that baton of faith passed on to the 16-year-old serve team member by her parents and, and by those who came before her and her leaders and those that paved the way. And, and here's the thing. What I wanted us to do this morning as a church is catch a vision for what it would mean if the children of Bayview Glen Church were experiencing the wonder of God's love. And, and if they learned to love God, love one another, and love the world. If each child was rooted firmly in the love of Christ and they were maturing in their faith and learning to live out that faith in every aspect of who they are. Dream with me how that would change our church, how that would change our families, how that would change our community. But here's the deal. It's incumbent upon us, each of us as individuals and as a team, to say we are going to take that step and reorganize our life such that we are passing on the baton of faith to the next generation. I would just close with this. It's a prayer from Psalm 71. And I would uh, ask you to pray this even in yourself, in your own heart. And uh, here's what the psalmist writes. Uh, so even to old age and gray hairs, <laughs> even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation your power to all those who come. In short, uh, this is the, the NLT, the New Lucas translation. Here's the prayer. Oh God, don't let me die until I pass on the baton of faith. Oh God, do not take me home to be with you yet because it's incumbent upon me to give my faith away to the next generation and pass on the baton of faith. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that that prayer of the psalmist would capture our hearts as a church, would capture our hearts as individuals, would capture our heart as parents and families, that we would not be helicopter parents that just swoop in and tell our kids what to do and pop out, that we would set an example for them, that your words and your commandments and your love for us would affect our behavior, our hands, that it would be like it's written on our foreheads, it would be the first thing that people see about us, that it would define our homes and our communities. God, that we would be so committed to your mission and your message that we could hold a model loosely knowing that the gospel was carried forward into the next generation. God, would you impress upon our hearts a sense of urgency here that our time is limited, it's going to go by in the blink of an eye, and if we don't pass on the baton of faith, it's going to fall to the ground. God, give us opportunity today, today, to pass the baton of faith to the next generation, somebody, somewhere. And God, as a church, would you give us a sense of responsibility and privilege and joy to be the kind of people that even into old age and gray hair like Mary Baber and Dorothy Pye, like so many others here at Bayview Glen and all over the world that have said, oh God, do not let me die until I pass on my faith to someone in the next generation.